Welcome to Title Run Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Bethay, joining you today from the Highlight Factory Studios to talk about potential trades for John Collins. If you're new to the show, you can follow us on any major podcasting platform, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, whatever your choice is. You can email us, titlerunsports at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Facebook or Twitter. So, Earlier this week, the Atlanta Hawks announced that they are going to listen to trade offers for John Collins. So this raises a lot of questions, the first of which is, why are the Hawks listening to offers for John Collins, their starting power forward? Well, a couple reasons. First, this offseason, the Hawks added Danilo Gallinari, who is a starting quality power forward that they added in free agency, who's been on playoff teams and played a major role on playoff teams with the Los Angeles Clippers, and the Oklahoma City Thunder the last two years. The dude does one thing well, and that's score the basketball, and he's really good at it, and he's done it really well for years. So part of the idea is that if you trade Collins, you still have Gallinari, who is a very, very good fit offensively with Clint Capella, who is absolutely killing it this year, and who is good enough to get by defensively. Now, obviously, you'd have to bring back some depth at the power forward spot, but Gallinari makes trading Collins a possibility because you're placing him with another starting quality power forward. The second reason is that Collins' trade value is high right now. He's playing really well. Last month or so, I think he's averaging somewhere around 21-9 and nine or 21-8, and eight, shooting over 40% from the field from three-point land and shooting over 53% from the field for the season. His true shooting percentage is over 60%, which is exceptional. And he's been really good on defense. The days of Collins being a below-average defender, mostly because he just didn't understand NBA defenses, those days are gone. His metrics defensively are in the top five in the league in real plus-minus. He ranks the top five. I shared this in our last podcast in the quarter one report, but he and Capella have the second-highest defensive rating of any duo on the court in the NBA. And he, when he's on the court with DeAndre Hunter, also ranks somewhere in the top ten. So, He has been a much, much better defender basically just because of learning how to play NBA coverages. He's improved in his rim protection, and one of the big things is he is simply fouling less. So with the way he's playing on the offensive end and the improvement he's made at the defensive end, his trade value has really climbed after he really struggled at the beginning of the year, adjusting to his new role with Clint Capella on the floor, uh, not being able to be the role man as much. So the result has been that Collins this year is actually getting a lot harder shot He's taking more threes, but actually shooting them at a better percentage, which is very unusual. I think he's up to somewhere close to five attempts a game the last time I looked. But it's interesting to see that after this one month or so adjustment period, he is back to playing like he did essentially last year, where Collins probably isn't really a 20-10 and 10 guy on a good team, but he's probably a 19-9 and 9 guy and a really good second or third option on a playoff contender. So we have Gallinari. Collins' his trade value is very high right now. And then you also have to look at the fact that Collins has already turned down an extension this past offseason. It's rumored to have turned down four years for $90 million from the Hawks. And obviously, if they can't retain him in restricted free agency this offseason, he leaves for nothing. So the third reason that you'd be interested in trading John Collins is very simply, you don't want him to walk. Now, that rumored extension of four years and $90 million, which would average about $22.5 million per season, is definitely a fair extension. 
when you consider his history of injuries and the suspension that cost him 25 games last year. But John Collins can definitely get more. And he has been coming into this season, the 2021-22 season, thinking if I, excuse me, the 2020-2021 season, thinking if I play at the all-star level I played at for the last half of last year, I can get a max contract or close to it. And he's not wrong. As John Collins looks around the NBA, listen to some of the guys that are making more money than him. Pascal Siakam is making $34 million a year. Now, he was an all-NBA player last year, but this year Collins has outperformed him, I would say. And his team is performing at about the same level as Siakam's team in Toronto. Kevin Love is making $30 million a year. LaMarcus Aldridge is making $25 million a year. Draymond Green is making $24 million a year. Julius Randle is making $20 million a year. Danilo Gallinari on his own team is making $20 million a year. Jeremy Grant's making $20 million a year, although with the jump that Jeremy Grant's made, he is earning every penny of that contract. Aaron Gordon's making $20 million a year. Thad Young is making $14 million a year, and so on and so forth. So as Collins is looking around the league, he's saying, my market value is obviously higher than my rookie scale contract is. We know that. But $22 million a, a year means you're paying me Julius Randle money, and I think I'm better than Julius Randle. Or at least I think I could potentially be better than Julius Randle. So it, it's hard to argue with him wanting more money than that. He could get more than that. And the truth is, if someone offers him more than that, I don't know that he would get a max. But if someone offers him 4 and twenty four and 108, and the Hawks don't want to match. I mean, he's gone for nothing. So it makes sense to at least entertain possibly trading him and seeing what you can get in return. Now, the problem is that trading Collins is complicated for a variety of reasons. First, the Hawks actually want to be good this year and make the playoffs, and John Collins is actually a very good basketball player this year. And we just went through some of the stats, but there aren't very many power forwards that are as good as he is, and the ones that are either cost too much or aren't available. So, yeah, you could probably go get Blake Griffin, but why? Why would you want him? You could probably go get Kevin Love, but again, why would you want him? You could probably go get Al Horford, but again, why would you want him? I mean, guys that are either old, hurt, or both. Same with LaMarcus Aldridge. He's 35. So you can see the pattern here. Now, yeah, you could trade him for someone like Julius Randle, but again, is that really an upgrade? I think they're comparable players, but is that really going to make your team better? Maybe, possibly. You could trade him for someone like Aaron Gordon, but again, isn't that more just a lateral move? Yeah, you'd have maybe a year or two more control, but did you really make your team any better? I don't know. So the idea is that the guys that you could get aren't necessarily guys that you would want, and you want to still win now. So you got to replace Collins with an NBA-level rotational player. So um, there are teams that could trade for him and send back picks and prospects, you know, guys that you could develop. But, but again, what we just said – Getting back picks and prospects hurts your chances of being actually good this year. You need rotational NBA players. So the second thing that makes it difficult is that Collins only makes about $4 million this year. And since you have to match base salaries and trades in the NBA, at least they have to match within a certain range, that means that you have to throw in other players off of your already thin roster to balance salaries. So, for example, looking at a trade for Bradley Beal, who makes $28 million a year, to try to match the salaries to the point where you could make a trade for him and John Collins, you would have to trade John Collins, Kevin Herter, Cam Reddish, or DeAndre Hunter, one of those two, plus Tony Snell. So as much as I love Bradley Beal and I think he's a high-level player, 
four for one trades don't work. <laughs> that just doesn't work. Because at that point, once you get Bradley Beal, you have no wing depth left. So you have that issue that Collins' low salary, ironically, actually makes him harder to trade because players that are as good as Collins, like we just said, make in the 20s of millions of dollars. Then you add to that the fact that since Collins is in a contract year, that severely limits the number of teams that would actually be interested. So it would either be a fringe contender looking for a bump, someone like the Blazers, who you know could use help at the power forward spot, um, or it could be someone that's a win-now contender that doesn't care about their draft picks. They're willing to throw them all away to win now. So that could be a team like Philly or maybe even Boston or, or the, the Bucks. The issue with those teams, though, is that they would likely prefer to send picks instead of NBA players since the NBA players they have are actually good and the ones that are on their bench are ones that you would not want. And so for the Hawks, they want both a solid rotational player or set of players and picks. And again, a lot of those contending teams would only be able to send one or the other. So having said that, and acknowledging that it's going to be incredibly difficult for the Hawks to find good value in a John Collins trade, here are some of the possible ones that I came up with. So the first trade involves John Collins going to the Chicago Bulls for Thad Young. So Thad Young makes $13.5 million, and he's got two years left in his contract. Collins, obviously, is an expiring contract, making just over $4 million. You cannot do a straight-up trade because of the big gap in the salaries. So I had to add in Tony Snell to send him to the Bulls. So Tony Snell and John Collins together are about $16 million worth of salary going to Chicago. To match that, the Bulls are sending back Ryan Archidiakono with his $3 million salary, which balances out the books for both teams. And so for the Hawks, you're bringing in Thad Young, who is a pretty good rotational power forward, uh, could be a starter for a lot of teams, um, and can also slide over and play some small ball five. And then Archidiakono, who is a decent backup point guard, um, who would probably honestly be a slight upgrade from Brandon Goodwin. And then the Bulls would also be sending along a 2021 protected first round pick. And for this example, I had it top 10 protected because the Bulls are actually trying to be competitive this year. So that's one possible trade, getting back again, a rotational quality power forward that's got another extra year left and a decent, well, decent, a serviceable backup point guard. Moving on to trade number two. So this trade involves the Milwaukee Bucks, one of those win-now teams that we're talking about. They're in contention for a championship. They're not really concerned about draft picks. They just want to accumulate talent. And Collins is one of those players that could step in, and while he probably wouldn't be in their starting lineup, would probably be someone that would pay 25 minutes a game for them and could possibly be in closing lineups with Giannis at the five. So this trade involves Collins straight up for Bobby Portis, whose uh, salary matches with Collins at 3.6 million to Collins at 4.1 million. And uh, Portis has an additional year left on his contract. Portis is actually having a really good year off the bench there. He's averaging 11 and 7, shooting like 46% from three. Good efficiency on the minutes he's getting, and he's really doing a good job there. So picking up, you get a really quality rotational piece that, that again, isn't John Collins, but he's someone that's cheap that you could afford, and that would actually help your team win. And then we also have the Bucks sending a second round pick in 2022 and a first-round pick in 2021, excuse me, in 2023 to the Hawks because the Bucks have already traded their 2021 first-round pick to get Drew Holiday, and they cannot trade their first-round pick in consecutive years. So they would send the 2023 first-round pick over to the Hawks. So essentially you'd be getting a rotational player and two draft picks, which is more or less what you'd hope for with the Hawks. Ideally, you'd like to get a young player that's like a blossoming star, but 
again, we've already, as we've already talked about, that may not necessarily be realistic. The next trade, or really it's a set of trades, involves Sacramento Kings. So the principle of the trade would be John Collins for Marvin Bagley III. And Bagley is a 6'11 power forward that could probably play some small ball five also. Pretty decent offensive player. Hasn't quite produced as well on the offensive end as maybe people projected out of college, but he is also a good rebounder. He's averaging 12.5 and, and 7 and hasn't quite been getting the minutes that uh, he would like with the Kings. There's a whole beef between his father and the team, tweeting at the team, telling them they need to play him in closing lineups. Not a great defender, but honestly, you can see a lot of 2017 John Collins and Marvin Bagley early on in his career, but he's also had a lot of injury issues. But he's 21 years old, has a lot of upside, and so the principle of the trade would be him for Collins, and then to match salaries because Bagley makes right under $9 million, uh, you'd add Tony Snell to the trade from the Hawks side, and you'd get back our old friend Jabari Parker with his $6.5 million expiring contract, and that matches the salaries up. Now, since the Hawks are trading away the best player in the trade, they would also receive back from the Kings a first-round pick in 2021 and a second-round pick because the Kings actually have four picks this year in the draft. A different version of this trade would be to swap out Bagley with a more well-known and more consistent player who is also older in the 28-year-old Harrison Barnes, who is currently averaging 16-6 and six on good percentages, and he's been a real rock for the Kings. Uh, he's at 22 million dollars a year and he has two years left on his deal after this season now the issue with this is again we talked about with john collins small salary with him only making four million and harrison barnes making 22 million you have to fill out the trade by throwing in tony snell's expiring contract 12 million and then another end of the bench player like a solomon hill or a brandon goodwin to make the salaries match or bruno fernando so at the end of the day you end up having to trade three Hawks to get the salaries to match in order to get one player who's a player that's probably not as good as the one that you're trading away. It's just not an ideal situation to go three for one, even though, yes, you're keeping him from walking. I get that. But again, it's just not an ideal situation to go three for one when it comes to trading players, unless you're getting an uber elite player like a James Harden. The last trade involves the Portland Trailblazers, who are one of those teams that's also in contention right now. They're trying to build together the best roster they can to win now. They have their pieces in the prime of their careers and Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum and even Yusuf Nurkic. So not as concerned with draft capital in the future. So this trade would involve, in principle, John Collins for Robert Covington, who's kind of a do-it-all 3-and-D defender. He's been playing center and power forward uh, the last couple years for Houston and the Trailblazers. And so he would give you a versatile forward that could play small ball five in a pence like he did last year for Houston, and he's done a little bit this year. He's a decent three-point shooter. He's a plus defender, and he'd be a really good fit as a floor spacer with Clint Capella. Um, but to make the salaries match, because he makes $12 million a year, and he is under contract through next year. So to get the salaries to match, because Covington makes $12.1 million, and obviously Collins only makes $4 million, you have to add Tony Snell and his expiring contract, which, if you can't tell, having an expiring contract that's in that mid-range is so valuable for trades. So you send Tony Snell back with his contract, which matches Covington's, and then you'd add Nas Little, who's a developmental young player for the Blazers out of North Carolina, a combo forward, and his $2.2 million contract, and send that back, and that makes the trade work from a money standpoint. And then the Blazers would throw in their 2022 
first round pick and possibly even a second round pick, but getting two players back for two players, probably going to stop there with the first round pick. But either way, you're getting a pretty good haul back for Collins, a good player in Rodney and Robert Covington, a very good player and developmental prospect in Nas Little that you would have on a contract for an additional two years after this season. And then a first round pick that's probably going to be in the mid twenties. So that's what we're looking at. And so as you look, look at these trades and just to recap them, you'd have uh, Collins for Thad Young, Collins for Robbie Portis, Collins for Marvin Bagley, or Harrison Barnes, or Collins for Robert Covington. And so, again, the issue with this is, are any of those players going to give you the kind of impact that John Collins would, even if you overpaid him? And the answer to me is no. I mean, some of those trades are, really aren't terrible, but the thought is, I don't think that any of those players you're getting back are as good as John Collins is right now. And certainly, none of them are as good as John Collins would be moving forward. So, in answering the question, what should the Hawks do with John Collins? The answer is, they should pay him. And I've been a long time coming to this conclusion. I did not necessarily feel like they should pay him this summer. But in watching the way the NBA is moving right now, I'm convinced that the Hawks should pay John Collins. Even overpay him. Because what it has been, what has become evident in the NBA is that you can move any contract. So let's say you you max John Collins, give him whatever we, whatever it ends up being. It'll be somewhere around twenty eight million dollars a year, four years. And after year one or two, you see that you've hit your ceiling as a team, your your playoff team. You can't get past the second round. You keep losing to the Sixers or the Celtics. You need to add a superstar. Now you have a contract that is actually easier to package and move for a superstar player like a Bradley Beal, or maybe by this time Dame Lillard is sick of playing in Portland and you want to pair him with Trey Young and go all offense. Whatever the scenario is, having a $28 million contract is actually a lot easier to move than his $4 million contract, which sounds crazy to say. And if teams can move $40 million contracts, a.k.a. Chris Paul, James Harden, Russell Westbrook, if you could move those contracts, and in the cases of Paul and Westbrook, you have – players that are either in decline or just old, you can move those contracts. You can move the contract of a 25 or 26-year-old Collins who's in his prime putting up just sub-all-star numbers or all-star caliber numbers. You can move that contract. And you can maybe push all your chips to the center of the table to go try to get a superstar that would be able to come put this team over the hump and push them to championship contention instead of just playoff contention. So... That's my take on what to do with John Collins. If we trade him, make sure you're getting the right assets back. If they don't, I think that's the right move. I think Collins is a very, very good player. That is a very, very good building block for what they have right now. And I'm hoping that the Hawks will put all these pieces together when they get healthy and give us a surprisingly good playoff run in 2021. This has been Dave Bethay for Title Run Podcast. That's it for today. Thank you for listening.